while the choir is taking their place, if, do you have one of these uh, sheets, worksheets to use? On Sunday night, we use these, and we do a kind of a Bible study together, and I hope that um, you have one. And I think we're going to have to have a little help back on the back row back there. Fellas, somebody? Maybe you need to kind of keep us in line. Okay. We have some extra ones if you need one. She needs one over to the piano. We've been uh, doing a series on Sunday night on servanthood what it means to be a servant. And we've um, come this far that we have discovered that a servant is one who gives and one who forgives and one who forgets. And we've done about uh, six uh, messages on forgiving and forgetting. Tonight we want to come to talk about thinking like a servant thinks. And our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But I want to kind of set, some, uh, set the uh, background for this and do look at a couple of other passages. So I want you to find those also. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, second, I meant, and Colossians 2, verses 5 through 8. Colossians 2, 5 through 8. Now, it might be just a little difficult to get all of those places, but I hope you can. Just uh, put your finger there in each one of the places. And I want us to um, set some kind of a thought structure before we get into the, the uh, message itself. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is probably the most quoted of all Scripture other than John 3, 16. It's something that we have learned, uh, we've memorized and have quoted uh, all of our life. And uh, I want to read that to uh, remind us of it again. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now I know I've heard zillions, uh, zillions of sermons on that passage, and it talks about the renewing of the mind, but I don't know if anybody's ever told me what that means. I was uh, looking at this uh, message the other day, and I was thinking of that verse of Romans 12, and we are told that we need a renewing of the mind, but I don't know if anybody's ever told me what that involves, how you do that, and what it is. Um, I like J.B. Phillips' translation, and it says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Guard against being squeezed into the world's mold. Stop relying on a world philosophy. Stop following the world's methods. 
Stop thinking like the world thinks, is what he's saying. And for that to ever happen, there has to be a radical transformation of the mind. There is a worldview, there is an attitude, a mindset of the natural man. Stop thinking like the world thinks. For that to happen, there needs to be a radical transformation in the mind. Now, would you take a right to Colossians 2? And we're going to do this little verse and show us, get some, just trying to get some light on our subject, okay? Chapter 2, verse 5. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now, underline these thoughts. Verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now, how does one, one receive Christ Jesus the Lord? He receives Christ Jesus the Lord by faith. The only way that a person can be saved is by grace through faith, and faith is the hand that reaches out to receive the gift of eternal life so that one receives Christ Jesus by faith. Now, that needs to be remembered. Now, look at 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. That Greek word there is according to the ABCs of the world system. Now, normally, when you read verse 8, you think that he's warning against being led astray by false doctrine. He's not that doing that at all. That's part of it, but it's not that concept. He's saying, don't begin to think like the world thinks. Don't think according to the ABCs of the world system according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Now get this, watch this. If a person thinks according to the world view, he's going to think differently than according to the spiritual view. Now, he said in verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. That is, begin to think with the mind of faith. Begin to faith it as opposed to operating on the basis of a worldview, operating as the world operates, thinking as the world thinks. Now, now, now watch this. A person can be very successful serving on a board of directors in a, in a corporation and, and, uh, and, and not be very successful serving on the board at the church. I want you to get this picture. Here's a man who is a board member of a successful corporation and he meets every month, perhaps monthly or weekly, in this room of other men and they sit around this table and they operate on the basis of a worldview. Uh, that is, 
They operate their corporation on the basis of profit and loss, on the margins of profit, and they make their decisions on those in, in, in light of that, uh, that idea, that philosophy. And uh, they make this decision on the basis of will it profit or will it loss? Will it be loss? What will this decision do and how will it affect this operation over here? And that's the way they determine and operate. Um, that works fine in a corporation, but it doesn't work in the spiritual body of the church. Um, you do God's work God's way. You operate God's business God's way, and the way you operate God's business is not on the profit-loss margin, on the basis of what will this decision, how will this de decision affect this decision. You operate God's work on the basis of faith. A man wrote Francis Schaeffer one time. He said, you know, I serve on the board of directors for a corporation, several corporations, and I serve on two or three boards or committees in the church. And he said, sometime when I'm sitting in, those, in, in the board meetings, whether at the corporation or at the church, I have to ask myself sometime, which board am I meeting on? You know, because he said, we do the same kind of thinking in both places. And we make, the same, we make decisions based upon the same concepts in both places. He said, why, in the church we operate the same way there as we do out in the secular world making our decisions in the corporation. It just doesn't work that way. That's what Paul is talking about when he said, now don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. As a believer, as a spiritual man operating in the, in the realm of the kingdom, you're to think with the mind of Christ. Now, now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll take a look at this. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending himself against the critics. You'll see that in verse 1. Now I, Paul, therefore, I, I, now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And then he kind of in parentheses Parenthesis, he says, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. That's, he's being facetious. He's, that's what they were saying about the apostle. They're saying, well, when he gets around with us, he's meek and milky toast. When he's away, he's really bold. And so he just kind of repeats what they're saying about him. The apostle Paul is dealing with a carnal church. Now these people are Christians, but they're still thinking with a carnal mind. Perhaps the church at Corinth is the most carnal of all the churches. They're born again, but they still think like the world thinks. And Paul wrote to the, uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians and, and dealt with that carnality in the church at Corinth, and they've deeply criticized him, and so he writes 2 Corinthians to, to speak against the critics. And 2 Corinthians is the most autobiographical of all the epistles of the Apostle Paul. And in other words, he's just telling, he's just defending himself really as to what they're saying about him. And he writes this letter to encourage them or to tell them or to, to show them how to stop thinking like the world thinks and to begin to think like a servant. Now with this little book in hand, let's look at some of the natural thinking in today's world. Now I'll play a little game with you. You got your paper there, and you got a pencil, most of you do. And I want you to do this. I want you to, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being 
thinking exactly like the world thinks, one being thinking exactly like Christ thinks. And we're going to kind of um, uh, grade ourselves, okay? Ten being thinking just like the natural man thinks, and one, thing, one is thinking just like Christ thinks. And on that scale between, you know, you say, well, sometimes I think like this and sometimes I think the other way. I want you just to gauge yourself one to ten on a scale, all right? Natural thinking in today's world. How does the world think? What, are, what is the natural thought process of the natural man? Number one, he thinks with prejudice rather than with objectivity. Verse two, he thinks prejudicially rather than objectively. It's found in verse 2. Would you help me out over here, somebody? Kind of, it's hard to overcome, okay? Verse 2 says, And I ask that when I am present, I may not be, be bold with confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now what is happening in the church at Corinth was this. These folks, before Paul ever got there, they were saying something like this, Paul is not such and such, or Paul is this way or that way. They never met him, but on the basis of what they had heard about him, and on the basis of what they conceived about him, they drew their opinion of him. Does that sound like anybody you know? Do you operate like that? Drawing first impressions with prejudice, imagine, well, he's like this. I don't really know him, but I've heard this about him. This is my concept of him based upon what I've heard about him or what I think about him. How often do you do that on a scale of 1 to 10? I mean, do you judge people on the basis of how they look, what you've heard about them, how they act, or on the basis of an objectivity of, of accepting them as they are face value? I was talking to a guy not just, just a few days ago, and he said, you know, I just don't like old so-and-so and gave me his name. And I said, I didn't know you knew him. He said, I don't know him, but I've heard a lot about him, you know. You know, that, that's, that's all that matters. I'm going to base my opinion on what I think about him, what I, what I think of when I see him, or when I've heard about him. That's the way the world thinks. Secondly, natural thinking in today's world focuses on the visible rather than the invisible. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The natural man sees things or focuses on the visible rather than the invisible, the seen rather than the unseen. I'll believe it if I can see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Seeing is believing. You give me evidence, you give me proof, and I'll believe that. I'll accept that. I'm not going to believe that until I can see it with my eyes or touch it with my hands. Now, how does that sound like anybody you do? Do you operate on that basis? How much do you operate out of the sheer resources of your own faith? The natural man, thirdly, 
relies on human strength rather than divine power. Now I'm getting down to scratch where we all itch. Number, number four. The natural man relies on human strength rather than divine power. If there's a need, I'll get after it and I'll do it. In other words, how much do you rely on the sheer might of God to accomplish what you need to accomplish in this world? This is a good way to gauge that. When there is a need or you're facing an obstacle in your life, how much do you immediately go to prayer to seek the, the, the guidance and the wisdom and the ability and the power of God or do you just plunge in to accomplish that in your own strength? Anything that is done in the flesh is a stroke that has no power to it. And there is more accomplished. We do our greatest work on our knees. I don't know why we can't understand that or grasp that. But the natural man, when he has a need, he just takes off after it to accomplish what needs to be done in his own strength. Sometimes he just gets completely exhausted. Then he remembers there is a resource that is bigger than me. Number four. The natural man listens to men rather than to the voice of God. Verse 5. The natural thinking is to listen to the voice of men rather than to the voice of God. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me, you're making a big mistake. When I did something, I really believe God leading me to do. Has that ever happened to you? Um, just be totally candid and honest with you, about three of my friends said, you're the goofiest thing it ever was when I moved to Durant. You know, sorry to, you know, man, you're stupid, you know, going to Durant, Oklahoma. Uh, you're, you're making a big mistake. Uh, I, I don't think so. I'm sure, I sure am glad I didn't listen to the voice of men how often has it been that, some, that, that, that you've listened to the counsel of men rather than the voice of God and you just got yourself into all kinds of trouble? This is what the psalmist said. For this cause every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I, this is God speaking, I will instruct thee. I will teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. How does he guide us with his eye? You ever played that game? Somebody, somebody that's a good poker player, I won't ask you to stand up and give personal testimony, but a good poker player will say that they can watch a guy's eyes and they can read what he's got, what he's holding in his hands. I used to play a little game, you know, with my wife. We had this little trick game. We used to play with young people. And she'd give me signals with her eye. And she'd look at a certain place with her eye. And I'd just watch her eyes and, 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 and follow that and, 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 and play the game. How does he guide us? With his eye. How do you know his guidance? By looking into his face. 
By finding the face of God and beholding it. How does he guide us? By looking into his eye. He said, I'll guide you with my eye. The natural man seeks the counsel of men. The spiritual thinking man, the servant, seeks the eye, the leadership of God. How do you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? Number 5. The natural man, the natural thinking, perceives things outwardly rather than what they are beneath the surface. The natural thinking is to see just what's surface level. We're shallow. The spiritual man, the servant, the man who thinks with the mind of Christ is able to, be, is, is able to see beneath the surface to that which lies deeper and beneath it. All right, how'd you rate if you scored higher than 25, you're in trouble. Need to see you after church, and we'll begin some things. On our, on our, on our worksheet now, mental, mental barriers to God's voice. Verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the, against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, I hope you're staying with me tonight. You know, this kind of a sermon gets a little, wades out a little bit and we don't get it by osmosis. It's not a forward simple sermon, okay? Paul is thinking as he writes verses 4 and 5 about a city, a fortified city. And these people would come in from the villages and they'd move into the cities for protection. And these cities were surrounded by great walls. As we studied the book of Nehemiah here on Sunday night, we discovered that that was the first thing they rebuilt in Jerusalem, the walls, and they were thick and they, for, they were for protection. And they had at these walls great towers set back from the walls so that a person, an enemy could come to the walls and still shoot his flaming arrow and it not reach the towers. And they had guards in the towers so that the cities were fortified with great walls and towers with guards in them. That's what he has in mind as he writes this. For he sees the mind like that the mind as a fortified city with walls around it. And the Spirit of God wants to control the mind. The Spirit of God wants us to think like He thinks. But the natural mind is a fortified city. In order for the Spirit of God to control the mind, the Spirit of God has to, has to breach those walls and tear down those fortresses in order to penetrate into the, into the city and control it. And so there is a constant war going on between natural thinking, the, the flesh, and the spirit. And he says that these are the things that, we have, that the spirit has to overcome before the spirit can control the mind and the mind think like a, like a servant thinks. One of them is fortresses. I'm going to tell you what that means. The fortress was, in essence, the general mental attitude, a general mental attitude toward life, learned from our parents or our environment or our surroundings. The general mental attitude toward life, the way we were taught to think. 
Now I have written down some, some things that are a part of that. One is negativeness. Now I know some, some kids that growing, growing up under parents who are just constantly negative, those kids when they get old are going to think negative thoughts all the time. Negativeness. Prejudice. Traditional safe thinking, closed-mindedness, not teachable, set in our minds, a general mindset, a general attitude toward life, fortresses. And for the Spirit of God to get into the mind to control it, He has to overcome that general attitude of thinking that we've learned from our, from our childhood. Then there are speculations. That's an interesting word to study. It's a term that is used in connection with the conscience. It means the verdict of the conscience under stress. And it refers to the tendency to defend or to justify when accusations come. Now there is a kind of an attitude of, of thinking, a, a, a thought process that always is defensive when accusations come. When the Spirit of God begins to convict us of a wrong or, a, or a, a sin, we begin to defend ourselves and justify it, blame others. That's speculations. And then there is, as he refers to it in the Scripture here, lofty things, that's pride and the characteristics of pride. I already have all the answers. There's nothing wrong with my way of thinking pride and lofty things. And then there are thoughts. Thoughts refer to the devices or techniques that we have learned with which to manipulate people. Let me, let me draw you a hypothetical illustration. Here's a young man. It might not be so far-fetched. Here is a man who, who grows up in a home where his, his father is the dominant figure. The father is very dominating, domineering, and he presses everybody in the house, including the spouse, the mother. And he's the macho type that believes that, that the wife's place is just to sit silent and be quiet, and the, and, the, and, the, and the father, the husband, is the ruler of the house, and the children are to obey everything, etc., etc. He grows up under that kind of concept. That's his way of thinking in life. And he marries a girl who, who, who grew up just exactly the opposite. She grew up in a home where the mother was the domin dominant factor. The father was kind of uh, reticent and uh, yielding most of the time and very submissive to the wife's wishes and demands. And that became her way of thinking, that the wife is the dominant figure. Now, how's that going to get, how, how, how are things going to go in that marriage? It's going to be some kind of a problem. And so what happens in that situation is that, that I'm going to operate on the basis of the way I learn to live and the way I learn to think. I'm going to operate on the basis of my thoughts and there's going to be a constant clash. I see this happen all the time and not just in marriage. And these are the strongholds and the speculations and the thoughts and the fortresses that the Holy Spirit has to overcome before He can control our thought process. I want to ask you, how much is there in your mind that has never come from God? 
How much is there in your thinking that is really totally opposite to the mind of Jesus? That's what we're about tonight, you see. Where did I get this? Did I get this way I think from the Word? Did I get it from, from theology? Or did I just pick it up from someone else? Why do I think like this? Now, some sup the supernatural ability of the renewed mind. I just want to refer to these and then I'll quit. The supernatural ability of the renewed mind first is courageous against odds. Verse 2, it's courageous against odds. Let me tell you something. You find somebody is thinking with the mind of Christ and he's fearless. He knows he's right. You find somebody who thinks with the mind of Christ and he launches out on the most incomprehensible things in the world and he does them. You find a church that, is, that thinks with the mind of Christ and a million six building fund is nothing to that kind of church. They're bold and courageous. For when a person thinks with the mind of Christ, he, he's afraid of nothing. No defeat, failure. Secondly, the supernatural ability of the mind of Christ is divinely powerful. Verse 4, there's nothing he can't do. He's divinely powerful. He is obedient to Christ, verse 5. He brings these thoughts under the obedience to, of Christ. And then he is completely authentic, verses 11 and 12. Practical, rea practical reaction for true service. Let me give you that, then I'm through. Number one, operating on the basis of the renewed mind begins with a decision. You must come to a decision to decide. I'm going no longer to think like the world thinks. I'm going to decide to think with the mind of Christ. And then the continuing, continuing renewal of the mind is a daily issue. It's something that has to be done every day. I get up in the morning and I come to this verse of script, this passage of scripture and I say I've decided today that I'm going to think with the mind of Christ. I'm going to do it today. I'm not going to think with prejudice. I'm going to think objectively. I'm not going to focus on what's before me. I'm going to focus on the unseen. I'm going to operate on the basis of God's mind. You have the songbook right there. Turn to page 37. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read stanzas one and two. I want you just to listen and follow. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, his craft and power great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. 
Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's on choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. From age to age the same, and He must win the battle. And he must win the battle. Father, I'm turning my mind over to you. I'm committing my thoughts to you. I'm surrendering my philosophy to you. And I want you to think with my mind and operate with my body. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Help us to think with the mind of Christ. To not be squeezed into a world philosophy. But to think like a servant thinks. And there's so much refuge and garbage in our minds. The Holy Spirit has to navigate. And I pray that He'll control us tonight in our thinking so that we'll live and be exactly what you want us to be. And we know, Father, that what we think is what we are. Take control of this mind. We give it to you in Jesus' name. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. The invitations are these. Number one, to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. He died on the cross just to be your Savior. Rose again to be your Lord. Would you come by faith to accept Jesus as your personal Savior? Second invitation is to come and place your life in the church. Promise of letter by statement. To come to rededicate yourself to Christ. To say, I need the mind of the Lord. Would you stand as the Spirit leads you? Would you come?